Hi everyone and welcome back to Feminist Futures. I'm your host Wallace Grant and I'm joined by Lauren Williams. I feel like I should have like a little co-host. And I yeah, you are co-host. Yeah, you can totally say co-host. Maybe we should have a little um tagline for ourselves. Like we can be like, I don't know. The hostesses with the most desses. The hostesses. <laughs> definitely we'll work on it we'll work on it guys yeah we'll workshop it and see how it is um we hope you've all been good we've um we've slightly taken a little bit of a hiatus but we're back and we're back with lots of renewed energy you won't have known this because it goes seamlessly when we put it out but um we've both just been I wanted to say girl bossing but that's a really horrible word to say but we've been killing it with our new jobs (laughs) and it's taken a lot of our energy which is completely fair and fine so we're giving ourselves a little break and we're coming back to it fresh and excited to go into it. I really enjoyed that we've taken a hiatus after recording not even an episode an introductory episode. (laughs) I feel like that's very us Wallace. It's very us and we did it during the week of my wedding which could be the most stressful but actually ended up being fine and for some reason since then everything else has been too stressful to do um but such is life and such is capitalism that drains you in that way so (laughs) all the lessons that you're going to learn from this podcast definitely I mean yeah sometimes the summer months they just take on a world of their own and they end up sort of you lose control of them and what's happening I feel like there were so many events and everything catching up post-covid so I think we're excused and like you said nobody listening is going to have noticed any difference so it's going to be seamless yeah exactly and I I do agree like for some reason there's something feral about the sun being out and like being able to drink and not well kind of not worry about covid or try not to Um, and so that was definitely part of it but we're back and what are we talking about this month Lauren we are talking about the future of porn the pornography industry yes so we have decided almost like a big big bang launch of um our topical discussions to go with a topic that is traditionally obviously got quite a big stigma attached to it um and is probably not a topic that I you know there are some friends that I haven't spoken about it ever in my life with um and obviously we will not be talking about the intimate nature of our own relationships necessarily with porn um are we not that's I thought sorry (laughs) I'm hanging up right now I was promised intimate conversations with you about this actually I'm sure half the audience are now logging off as well (laughs) they're like sorry (laughs) thought this was like erotic audio (laughs) audio (laughs) <laughs> to be fair i'm not sure i don't maybe that's we can try we could try a little practice at the end some ASMR. Um, yeah exactly some asmr just oh yeah that's actually the the biggest update here is that i've i've got a microphone of my you own you sound very time. beautiful and professional you do thank you very much very crisp um so yeah we are talking about um the current state of the kind of porn industry as well as exactly kind of the the usual format of of these um podcast episodes we'll be talking about what we think kind of a feminist future whether that's idealistic or more kind of pragmatic in um uh, in our discussions of of what that might look like in in the future so yeah really great topic to start yeah. on personally because it's one that i think everybody has a view on um exactly whether it's based on, you know, individual experience or things that they've read. Um, and we hope to get uh, a lot of kind of conversations started with um, with this discussion. Yeah. And as always, I mean, this is discussion between Lauren and I's brains and what's in our heads. And we 
obviously we'll miss things out so we always love to hear from you so you can follow us on our instagram at features feminist features pod sorry and our twitter at podcast features for some reason that always trips me up but um people will figure out search us we've got a beautiful logo we do and it's a lovely and lilac which is I think like the color of the year so it's like pink and purple the two colors of last year and this year so so fashionable um so probably we wanted to kick off with uh, a bit of a question to each other around and I don't think I know the answer to this so uh even for myself but what your first like interactions with porn were when when did you first become aware of it even being a thing Wallace yeah, it's a good question. I was actually thinking about it and I feel like really annoyingly and clichedly like Two Girls, One Cup was like the first thing that I remember being in my my brain. I don't think I ever actually watched it. I think it was just kind of like passed around on like the school bus and people were kind of, you know, especially the boys were kind of forcing some of the girls to watch it and kind of discussing it in that way. And I think maybe I was like 14 or something, like 14 mm-hmm. or 15. But I think one of the weird things for me is that um and I mean we're now just getting like into intimate details so right away but I yeah, think sorry <laughs> already breaking we've already break, breaking the rule but I think one of the things for me with porn is that I came to it quite later in life but I was already sexually active um mm-hmm. or you know yeah being sexually active before that and I also was always was first sexually active before I like learned to touch myself which I feel like is a bit of a weird like contradiction in terms of like how people come to it and like what at the sequencing of it yeah yeah so I think for me as I've gotten older I've sort of reflected on that and been like that was interesting like was that was it because I was always dating an older boy or was it because like as a girl we weren't exposed to it as much or like how we were there but I'm I'm curious about your thoughts because we as we learned in last episode you went to an all-girls school yeah and I and I think for me the just to finish because kind of the point about you know a lot of the early interactions I have about porn were brought in from the boys in our class who were like brought in and we're talking about it and they would talk about it in quite like vulgar ways but like from your side like how how was that so I I'm gonna sound incredibly naive in in my (laughs) response to this question um and I also was like reflecting on it and I was trying to almost think back um and absolutely I was in a in a in a bubble uh, in that experience like I didn't have um kind of school bus activities or yeah. or any of that kind of ex- exposed and like you know chatting to guys was always on MSN and it was more about just like logging off and logging back on again to yeah. get that like notification rather than using it to send anything um to each other and interestingly I was thinking about actually I think my very first like early memory was I used to um and I hope that uh, whatever the statute of limitations expired or whatever but I used to download a lot of music on LimeWire um that's, and that's right in jail they've got you <laughs> you know we're exposing, <laughs> we're exposing all sorts on this podcast but uh, that's where I used to get the majority of my music from and I remember once I mean you used to get a lot of stuff on LimeWire you know you you almost like one in ten was actually a good quality song yeah. but um <laughs> as long as you didn't have to pay um <laughs> And I downloaded a couple of clips and one was like the classic Bill Clinton clip of, you know, I did not have sex with that woman. Uh, And I remember being like, what is this? And then there were other ones that were just like noises or video clips that like I had not intended. You know, I was trying to download like, I don't know, something really cheesy, like an S Club 7 or like a McFly song and then um, something. And I then was like, oh, that this is definitely not what I, I think I just was almost like 
obviously shocked because I hadn't hadn't expected it, but also because it's so graphic and I hadn't been exposed to it at all that I was just yeah. a bit like, oh, and I was convinced I'd been hacked or something. Oh, and yeah. you know oh, That's so, a horrible feeling, yeah. So yeah. naive to it. And that was like very much where I first became even aware of it being something that you could access on the internet or uh, that could be shared and that's how I mean about it like being like your bubble was just like popped and that didn't necessarily mean that I then started to actively search it out but I think kind of coming back to what you were saying around why potentially um, you didn't access it or or, um, enjoy it until later in life is I I genuinely think there's a big shame (laughs) attached to it and I think because it was of the way that I encountered it in such like an abrupt form and it just Mm. felt very illegal and all that I think I like I had a lot of feelings like mixed up in it for a long time that that meant that I didn't access it uh, again until um like university um so you thought you were going uh, to jail for downloading (laughs) exactly for downloading Stargirl by McFly um and uh (laughs) I have to say very very this is probably confessions um that I shouldn't be making but I also did read quite a lot of fan fiction when I was younger and that was probably the closest that I came to accessing and I don't think I really like realized that wasn't the reason I was accessing it but it was kind of like package and parcel with it and to see people like my age writing you know completely pretend relationships for for characters that I was aware of like I just found that amazing that people kind of um were able to picture that intimacy between two people that I had not even like envisaged um and I think that's why I really enjoyed fan fiction is because it almost like triggered your own imagination much more so than I ever found pornography to <laughs> that was probably yeah so very much through like media and culture did I did I come across porn rather than it being like a person or a site or that I was guided to to access exactly and I think you touched that right that it does come in this weird thing that it is seen as shameful I think particularly for women like I think or young girls or like Mm. young girls but I mean like teenagers and stuff who are accessing it for the first time I don't think that a lot of the porn that's out there is actually made for us it's made for men and made for boys and so there's this weird thing that when you're watching it you're kind of I always feel and I still feel to an extent now that I'm kind of simultaneously watching it in two parallel lives like I'm watching it for the pleasure or scene pleasure but I'm also watching it with such a critical eye of like was this made ethically like is there you know is the person enjoying themselves like is there is the dynamic there is that kind of thing and I think for men I think maybe as they get older it's there but I definitely think as like the like the men that I knew in my life when you're younger like that that would never have come like to to think about it in Mm. any way that that wasn't that was an issue but it also is really surprising because porn has been around for a really long time as I think you're going to demonstrate for us with your with your historical facts and so it's weird that it's kind of evolved into this particular type of it you know totally and actually uh, kind of what you were saying around um the age at which you became aware of it was linked very much to the age of the you know boys and men ar- around you is that I think for men it's seen much more as like a rite of passage and 100%. a stage in their like sexual awakening um is very much like your first pornography um and whether that's like comics or like old school you know magazines that people have beneath their beds and stuff like that is such a 
a cliche but at least it like kind of enables people enables men sorry to feel way less shame because they're like oh it's common and everybody does it whereas we don't have any equivalent of that at all for women in any you know and apparently I just consume media so much that that's where I got all of my um (laughs) you know uh rights and wrongs and rules of the world is all through like what what happens in in tv and cinema and things like that but it was so much more accepted for for men to be accessing that stuff than um and continues to be I think to to this day but no exactly as you said I was actually kind of curious because I was just trying to um do it I literally typed in the history of porn to Google so um I was trying to figure out almost where where it first started and it is really interesting looking at some of the really early days so there was that there's actually so there is believed to be the first instance of porn is uh, a tiny tiny four inches tall statue called the Venus of Willendorf which is basically a very large woman with gigantic breasts and an exposed vagina and it's um meant to kind of well it's thought to be uh essentially some sort of fertility was used as part of some sort of fertility ritual which is so much of where i think sex you know depictions of sex and nakedness were so tied into life and death and seen very much as part of like the cycle of that yeah. that it felt very natural I can't imagine they shied away from it at all and there's depictions in um and, and sorry that that statue is 26,000 years old that's like that's um you know it's been around since the beginning of time as it may well have had to be given that we needed to procreate and actually <laughs> create children yeah. but um one of the kind of um segues that I almost got lost in was that um there was a point at which people didn't even know like that having sex led to pregnancy like they didn't know what caused babies to and I was like oh gosh that's that's a whole different line of thinking but so much of yeah the depictions of of sex um and and intercourse it was linked very much to these like ceremonial um events and ways to instill sort of fertility in in the women of that particular community and I just think that's such a like a healthy way of looking at at sex that we have very much sort of lost and I I know that like and maybe that came coupled with the fact that sex is no longer quite as functional potentially as it would have been seen as in the past and Mm. it has been very much around like female desire and enjoyment coming up alongside the act of just having it having sex to um to have children Mm. but that shouldn't be necessarily then commercialized to the extent that we find ourselves in the situation that we are today yeah um I think it's really just to touch on your point I think it's really interesting that you were saying about the um the fact that this was kind of linked with life and death and that there was this kind of like fertility aspect and stuff linked to it because I think when I look at porn now and the industry that's around it like it feels so far from that it feels so far from this idea of of even just this idea of like love and 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 union and togetherness and and those kind of things like not that I'm saying that love that sex always has to be this kind of hippie love like you know Mm. shebang it can be a version of these different things but I feel like we've gone the complete opposite kind of way and I think the rise of I guess you would just call it on the on-demand porn you know internet porn has kind of done that but there's been a process and a kind of over the last 60 70 years where we've seen the shift go in that direction and I think as a result of that 
this dehumanization a little bit of women in porn has kind of come to come to bear and the idea you know if you watch porn now so much of it it's just a female body being used and not actually like being part of it it feels it's it's such an interesting it's it's such a weird and wonderful concept because it's like the woman is present obviously there but I just feel like they're totally not in in some Mm -hmm. ways and there's no agency and there's no power and there's no yeah connected connected this area where it where it seems like it's come from right yeah and I do think um uh like looking at the kind of other the the evolution in terms of the different types of porn and porn and the mediums like i think in my notes of obviously the 70 60s and 70s and sort of sexual liberation was obviously a massive turning point and i think it's 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 almost hard because obviously there was a massive freedom in women being able to express themselves the way that they wanted to express mm-hmm. themselves and like that was potentially a big opportunity for something like pornography to be you know on par with that and be something that you know we don't necessarily have porn for women and porn for men it should be like porn is universal and and we all enjoy it but that didn't really seem to happen and and um instead exactly that we found ourselves almost at the at the opposite end of that and I think that's a sort of era that'd be quite interesting to explore because every you know we've talked about well we haven't talked about but like deep throat um yeah by linda lovelace and like the reaction to those things and how you know gobsmacked people were at uh people even talking about these topics yeah should have then been almost like a gateway to broader conversations about this and yet we still find ourselves you know 50 years later still yeah. talking about how this is such a, a, a stigmatized topic yeah it's really interesting because i think there's I think traditionally in feminism, there's not really been a straightforward answer about porn, like whether feminists are for it or against it. Mm. I think there's been waves of it. And as you said, like there was this real sexual liberation movement, I think in the 60s and towards the 70s, where you had this rise of women being like, we're not going to be told what we're doing with our bodies. We're not going to have that. And as a result of that, you had this rise of kind of porn in that way. But I think it's interesting because the industry around porn was mostly owned by men. And famously, you know, Linda Lovelace came out and said that actually, you know, the circumstances around her making that film and the subsequent others, there was a lot of abuse and a lot of kind of mm. um, restrictions. So even though she was the poster girl for this like liberated world, that it, that wasn't the reality at all. Um, yeah. And there's this really been so frustrating for her. So frustrating. Yeah. There's a film, I've not seen it, but there's a film, right? Isn't there with Amanda Secret who plays her? Um, might be an interesting one to interesting one to watch. But in um in this book that I'm reading at the moment and I sent to Lauren, she's gonna read it very soon, um, by Amia Srivasan. I I'm definitely saying her name wrong, but I hope hope I'm not. It's a great you can definitely link it. Yeah, yeah, I will link it for sure. It's a great collection of essays called The Right to Sex. And I heard her talk about this on a podcast with um, Ezra Klein. And it was, she was an incredible speaker. So I would really like seek out some of her stuff. But in one of her essays, it's called Talking to My Students About Porn. And she talks, basically does that, but kind of gives us the real amazing history. And one of the things I didn't really understand was that there was like a real backlash to porn in the 80s by like fam- famous mm. feminists. And people were like, you know, it's causing all of these like in, in extremely bad representations in uh, media for women and it also teaches men to have bad sex so there was this like real push in some ways and also they would do demonstrations where they would go in and tear down like magazines like porn magazines and things like oh, that interesting. And stuff. but then you had this other camp of feminists who were like no no no, this is completely backwards so 
it's been something that's like in it that's, that was so attention but then interestingly in the book she talks about the fact that like the rise of the internet really put this argument to to be because mm-hmm. I think all of us now myself included like we just accept porn as an everyday fact of like what we live in and we want to mitigate the results of it or the mitigate the consequences of it rather yeah. than saying let's stamp it out completely which seemed to be an option for some feminists like back in the day it's become so mainstream as so well mainstream, like yeah and we're not just talking about internet porn we're talking about you know uh pictures on instagram facebook you know the types of bodies that that people have um you know male gaze in you know certain uh certain media and i think what i i was actually quite really curious about the stats in terms of uh, yeah. internet porn and what the viewership was because again because nobody t- well no women talk about this I was like I have absolutely no idea what the stats are at all I couldn't tell you what percentage of my friends watch it I couldn't tell you the percentage of my flat that watches it so just to share with with the listeners so there was a couple of interesting ones so in 2020 the proportion of female visitors and this is to Pornhub uh specifically yeah. but obviously it's um one of the biggest sites uh, it's actually worth up to like two billion Other like porn porn just, <laughs> can you imagine sponsored uh hashtag spawns everybody um but yeah porn had sold the proportion of uh their female visitors grow to 35 percent. so basically like one in three visitors is is female uh, and there's some fascinating if anybody ever wants to check out Pornhub insights as a uh, as a they website do. They have this, don't they? yeah and it allows you to sort of deep dive into like cultural differences um, yeah. in porn preferences, et cetera, as well as gender differences. And obviously it's all anonymized, but um, they that's a growth of 10% versus 2019. And kind of even before that, it was uh, back in 2017, it was, it was 26%. And actually they do an analysis of category insights in terms of preferences. And pretty much all the themes that come out for women are ones that display like female pleasure. And so it's actively something that people are seeking out. Mm. Um, and then the other stat was, which I think was slightly more sort of expected is that younger Britons are more likely than older Britons to say that they actually, to say that they watch porn. Yeah, so it's, it's slightly becoming less of a sort of st- stigma or, yeah. uh, or a kind of conversation topic that doesn't happen. Uh, whereas only 17% of those in their 60s and older say that they they watch porn. But it does still call out that obviously, although we're saying that 35% of the visitors are female, there's still 62% that are male and obviously 3% that choose not to identify themselves. So it's, you know, it's still half, yeah, basically, uh, the male population. But I do think that that is, if you're saying that that's an increase on 10% of the year before, you know, that's, if that trend continues, that could almost reach sort of parity in a, in a few years, whether it ever will, I'm not sure. And this is what we're going to kind of talk to in terms of, yeah, feminist poor, what people are looking for. Exactly. In, in pornography these days i do have to say on the 2020 stat i do would love to see it compared with the 2021 and 2022 just because 2020 we were all bored out of our heads you know what i mean like there was not a lot going on so if you were True. you know a, a, a porn hub virgin and you wanted to go and search it like that was the time that you were doing it because we were all looking at things that i don't even mean just porn i just mean like in general we were all watching things i watched michael palin climb the himalayas from back in 2009 and thought it was the oh. best thing ever oh i've never seen it he nearly dies isn't it it's all very stressful um oh, it's, wow. well not really he just he, he's very old <laughs> like in when he's climbing <laughs> the himalayas and 
I think he's still nice. Right? I think, he I don't is. Know, yeah. yeah. But I, I, am, I think it would be really interesting to see because we. I mean, there is an increase, right? Twenty six percent in two thousand seventeen, twenty nine mm-hmm. to two thousand eighteen. But I wonder. It's quite a big jump. So I wonder how that would fare out now. But more people are working from home as well. Like, there's more options. Mm-hmm. I think to to do that if you want to rather than in the office although you did read something interesting today right about um yeah so I was um I was looking at kind of modern like almost like what is the current state of 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 um the pornography industry and and you know is and just literally looking at news topics on the subject and one of the things that I was reading about is that a company has just introduced masturbation breaks for their employees which I was kind of just curious to find out like how long (laughs) <laughs> they'd given yeah, exactly. them they'd, um, given uh, a, a specific time limit and whether that differed between men and women but apparently they haven't detailed an exact amount of time but they have comp- the company staff have been encouraged to basically schedule their self-love breaks Ooh, um, around meeting hours and enjoy from Good the name. comfort of their homes so uh, I love that they are really leveraging the working from home and then interestingly their office um, has its own dedicated space, um, oh. which yeah comes in the form of a, and I'm reading from it, an article here, but a small intimate chapel complete with a I bed, saw- mirror, erotic paintings and a warm ambient lighting to help get in the mood. Wow. Um, so I thought, you know what, I, um, I think that is probably the other extreme. Uh, I'm not sure there'll be many companies following suit. Well, uh, if you just thought that. it was like a place to prayer, you know? And you just yeah, like, yeah, and you went in. And apparently they, they uh, do offer sex toys as well, all mandating that they are cleaned after use. So, oh. um, But I suppose, you know, if we're talking about breaking down barriers and destigmatizing things, what better way to do it than, like, actively encouraging it and yeah. creating it as part of policy, right? But, yeah, so that was, that was one of the funnier uh, sort of updates that I... Uh, came across today in in the world of porn but the question I suppose that I was looking to try and answer Mm. was the kind of age-old I suppose hypocrisy attached to pornography and feminism because you don't often hear those two terms used in the same sentence so uh, yeah so I was almost like uh, and how do I feel about that as well because I think you know we've talked about me carrying kind of shame attached to anything remotely um salacious in any way shape or form you said it's so beautifully I, salacious though I feel like that's like <laughs> I, you know I, I um, yeah it's the new mic it brings out a different side of me although I can I do tend to occasionally deviate into like Victorian-esque language when I'm uh, I don't even know when I think I'm trying to be really clear, I actually used the, the term common parlance the other day in a discussion and somebody just looked at me and said, what What are you saying here? Um, so yeah. Lauren is actually just a Victorian to... child trapped, trapped in a 2022 body. That's it. <laughs> I am. Let me out, guys. Let me out. This mic is bringing, bringing them out of me. It is, yeah. So yeah, basically I, I've kind of posed myself. So when we were, when we were prepping for this episode, the question of, is there such thing as feminist porn? Quite a big question. Mm. And you've already touched upon it a little bit, Wallace, in terms of like the sorts of things that you look for when you're watching porn. But I actually felt it was slightly um, easier to kind of segment that question Mm. a step further, which to answer the first question, which is like, is it hypocritical for feminists 
to watch pornography when we know that it is an industry that is misogynistic and traditionally dominated by men, which is often um, something that feminists would hear and run for the hills from. Um, And ultimately, I came down to the fact that, you know, people have a right to explore their sexuality. um, And for most part, they may be able to do that with another individual or the circumstances that they find that themselves in. But for others, uh, pornography is the most accessible medium through which to do this, uh, especially given that a lot of it is free. Yep. Uh, it's not going away. We've said, you know, already that it's it's gone mainstream. Mm-hmm. And I actually think the continued stigma behind women accessing that is preventing us from having open conversations about it and discussing it as as if we would any other topic um on this particular agenda especially when there's like women's bodies involved you know there's so many things that we're now able to talk about in the 21st century that and and i don't think porn has quite got there to the same extent as other things have i always think it's a good marker like can you talk about it in an office Mm. like i had this thing the other day it's just slightly deviating but i had this thing the other day where i was talking about my um contraceptive I was getting my contraceptive coil changed I was telling you about it wasn't I and uh it was fucking horrific by the way but anyway that's another story yeah that's I... another episode in itself um but I was talking about I was talking no about joke, it guys office. I think it is scheduled for it an is. episode four yeah I'm gonna I should I should have like recorded myself getting it done that would have been a fun little segment for the podcast but traumatic for traumatic. All involved. Oh, God. but no I I was talking about it and it was an all-female group we were having lunch and then one of my colleagues came and sat down a guy colleague who I know pretty well and one of the girls was like oh we should stop talking about this now and I was like why and they were like oh because um I don't think that you know John will want to talk about um contraceptive and I turned to John and I was like what's your opinion on contraceptive and he was like it's not great he was like my girlfriend and I use this it's not like been good la la and I think she was quite shocked um that I I invited him into the conversation you know I'm not gonna with colleagues it's a bit difficult right you're not gonna force them into a, a conversation around that but I do think there's nothing wrong with talking about these things and I think with porn for example like it really hasn't got to that point yet in terms of us having a conversation even just about like the ethics and stuff around it like it's not very comfortable maybe it'll never be that comfortable with with colleagues for example but I think it's a good marker right of where we are in in, in, it. and it feels like you know we just got there with periods you know and yeah exactly. oh god even periods it's like <laughs> yeah it's we're still we're still on the cusp and that feels like you're breaking the, you know maybe not the law as I have already admitted to but like yeah. social conventions by by discussing it and I feel like porn is you know the the thought of me going and exactly that asking somebody over a water cooler so what what porn did you watch <laughs> last night is potentially uh eons away yeah. so basically uh, I was like how do I simplify this and I do think as with most feminist debates so much of it comes back to choice yeah and that choice can be applied to pretty much any you know different angle on the porn whether it's like choosing to enter the porn industry as a as a pornography artist I feel like I should be using the I like that pornography artist that's very nice yeah exactly maybe that's the Victorian child coming out in me again Uh, (laughs) I was gonna say actress but I guess you have like directors and stuff right so artists yeah more of a like religious yeah and it shouldn't feel seedy Mm -mm. um or something that that people sort of brush under the carpet so I think it applies to like the sort of choice of career but ultimately when we're in terms of what we were talking to I think it comes back to something that you can choose to access if you wish in a safe way Mm -hmm. you know referring back to my abrupt 
um, induction into the world of porn through LimeWire. Uh, And that actually you have a sufficient range of options and different interests to choose from. So films, clips, whatever, that are not 100% misogynistic in Mm -hmm. their take on sex and filmed solely from a male uh, POV. So I think what I was kind of reflecting on in terms of the stats and why I was so interested to see them is like exactly as I said, one in three viewers are now female. Mm-hmm. That's a, you know, that's a sizable population that can be leveraged to be slightly more demanding of the industry itself to say, you know, what are the platforms that exist uh, and what's what is on those platforms? And I just think like the more that we're able to kind of give those choices and make people aware of them, that will also create more open discussion of a topic that has not been discussed and I think that will in turn lead to more awareness of things other than the free sites that exist in terms of um possible other platforms for people to access um this sort of thing so and that's where I was like sorry to answer my original question is it inherently contradictory for feminists to watch porn um no it is a you know a right to explore your sexuality however I think it comes down to um the fact that they have the choice in what they access where they access it you know who they access it with and that's what enables you know pornography although innately misogynistic to be still like a feminist topic yeah I feel like I went on a a bit of a deviation no no I think that makes a lot of sense and I think like you know with this idea of choice is so important because I think it really comes that's what aspects of it that I think we all find difficult to relate with is like are people choosing to be part of this are we choosing to see the things that we want to are we choosing to be exposed to the things we want to at the right time and the right age and are how are we choosing to use that information that we have to then bring it back into our own lives because you know one of the things that I think gets brought up a lot is that porn gives really unrealistic standards of what sex is mm-hmm. right and I was having this conversation with some guy friends who said to me yeah but we all know that that's not what porn like porn doesn't represent what uh, like what um sex is and I felt like saying to them I've had sex with many guys who've thought that that what they do in porn is what is what sex is because you can mm-hmm. tell because it's not you're you're not centered do not like present there's a lot of like um compare not comparing that's the wrong word and um, there's a lot of like uh copying like what's being what's being done in there right and I think yeah. that a lot of guys think that they're aware of it but they're not really understanding that, that it's a subconscious thing as part of like being mm. fed into that so I think this idea of choice is it should be integral in every step of it and I think we're not quite getting how that all pieces together Does that makes sense definitely no that that really does actually and it kind of interestingly made me then think about what feminist porn actually looks like in terms of the content itself and hopefully that will then in turn feed different messages to the viewers right in terms of the lessons that they're taking away from that it feels like obviously porn is inherently subjective in what you enjoy and everybody has different tastes so I was looking for more of a sort of objective criteria of what would be considered feminist porn Mm. I actually came across that there was um, some global feminist porn awards uh, that happened for a decade up until I think they finished in 2016 that's a shame and I was looking at what criteria they used to assess what made kind of porn feminist or, or not mm-hmm. and the three main criteria that they use and this exactly comes back to seeing beyond what's on the screen to like what the whole in how is that reflective of the yeah. industry as a whole which is number one 
that women uh, and or marginalized people were involved in the direction, production or conception of the work. Secondly, genuine pleasure, agency and desire for all performers, especially women and traditionally marginalized people. And number three, it expands the boundaries of sexual representation on film, challenges stereotypes and presents a vision that sets the content apart from most mainstream pornography. So pretty much every single person that I saw interviewed on this, whether they were directors, Mm -hmm. you know, people that owned sex shops and sold it, when they were asked what feminist porn looked like, they ultimately came back to say it needs to go further than just being a buzzword or terminology in uh, in this industry. It needs to be f- uh, more than just a marketing ploy yep. and it needs to go beyond to actually impact the people that are making it yep. and for people who are watching it to feel confident that that's something that has been um, upheld throughout that process. Yep. And I think where it gets tripped up and that bit exactly that you were saying in terms of the right to choice and how that feeds into every stage of the process is that it does involve doing some sort of research uh, and potentially accessing different sites. And I think, you know, actually I found this great quote, somebody, uh, a lady called Tanya Gold in The Guardian said, porn is like meat. You need to check how it's made before consuming it. So it's almost like that. Check how the sausage is made. Yeah. Um, yeah. Vibe. And I think that because almost coming full circle back to that stigma and that shame, people don't feel comfortable doing that. And then you just end up fulfilling this sort of vicious circle of uh, not knowing what's out there not not feeling like they have the right to choose what they want to watch uh, or not even feeling like they have the right to watch it because it feels so um yeah feels um so upsetting potentially to them so that that was um ultimately the kind of main description of what made feminist porn but if you think bigger so that's obviously looking at just the content a question to you Wallace what do you think if you could like have anything like free form what do you think a feminist future of porn or the porn industry would look like it's really it's an interesting one because I think all the things that you just said before in terms of the categories of like how what is feminist porn is is the reality that we want and it's that we want the mainstream porn that's out there to be ticking all those boxes we want women's pleasure to be seen in marginalized communities I think marginalized communities is actually a huge one because there's so much mm. fetish which is not a bad thing but there's a lot of fetish that is to do with people's um uh, race or ethnicity and there and that also can lead to that sexual abuse and assault and and as can lots of parts of the kind of porn industry so it's also about understanding that there's intersecting um dynamics as, as there is with the way that we kind of our, our sexual desires are not um and don't sit in a vacuum they are tied very closely with our systems that we have so you know race ethnicity disability the way we view those things are also part of how we view um, our sexual desires and how that goes out in porn so I think something that kind of aims to give those people agency and doesn't allow them to be exploited would be would be incredible I think this idea of also knowing and understanding that people have different types of um mediums or like content like the way content of of porn is consumed so I think on average like women are more likely to be turned on by kind of like uh, erotic fiction or by audio uh, um kind of means of of porn and there's been some cool um like startups like deep sea which was like a really big thing a couple of years ago yeah yeah the the audio audio one one. yeah yeah they did some and I think they did some research where they showed that women are more likely to you know kind of um 
enjoy the audio aspect of it whereas men are more likely to enjoy the visual although I have real questions around whether that's been evolved because of porn or if it's like you know it's a chicken and egg situation in terms Mm. of like how that works I'm sure there's a psychologist out there who's done a lot more research and or you know kind of understanding that but I think like I I really imagine a world where, as you said, their stigma is not there, that the porn that we consume on mainstream is is ethical, is made by lots of different people, including women. Female pleasure is centered and understood and not seen as as a a second-hand thing. Um, That is something for me that I feel so passionately and so strongly about. I mean, even for a while in Pornhub, they had a category that was called like women's pleasure or what women what women like or something like that. It was different in each language. But um, some, eventually there's a big campaign to be like, is that not supposed to be in all of it rather than just like one category of it? It's that in a way. And I think just also there's something around expanding men's sexual pleasure as well. Like I think there's such a narrow view for men, like what they're allowed to watch and what they're not. Like, I think as women, we're also allowed to watch like female on female or like women on women porn a lot more than men are allowed to watch like men on men porn. Like I think Mm. there's um, definitely stuff around the fact that we have such a narrow view of like what makes men's sexuality. And it would be amazing to see that open up and blown up and again, explored in that kind of ethical way. And I think also there's, there's something around ensuring that hand in, going hand in hand with the porn industry is comprehensive sexual education that that, that shows that porn does not reflect what sex is like that yeah. is everything that I read about this talks about the fact that like we are never ever ever going to get like a perfect porn industry because of the way it's set up and because of it and because of mm. we see the extremes in it which I think is fine but alongside that, we also have to be teaching young girls and boys who are just coming to having sex that this is not the standard that they have to be going to. This is a fantasy yeah. world. And the reality is very different. Definitely. Yeah. So it can almost be accept acceptance that it's used as an education tool, whether exactly. you know, formally or informally, most likely informally. But that obviously it has its caveats in the same way that like any training does not training sounds like I'm training yeah. small children to, um but any any sort of learning does yeah. which is that the reality is very different and it needs to come coupled with a huge amount of context and yeah. and feeling and I think that comes exactly as you were saying like how do we move um male sexuality away from like domination to yeah. like pleasing the other and it being like a collaborative you can tell I've been at work today yeah. like a, a joint process Synergies. like let's achieve synergies as a couple and um i think that that uh is definitely something that the the porn industry exactly said chicken and egg it could try and break through and introduce those different um different mindsets and you actually took my number one one which is it shouldn't be seen as a separate category feminist porn it should just be uh pornography yeah like women's pleasure should be imbued into every single uh video that exists out there um and the other area that I really and I was trying to think about what I would obviously want to change there's a lot about it which is uh revenge porn Mm. um so like the fact that that even exists as um as something that people can weaponize uh, against another individual so having some sort of really clear legislation or control over yeah. the videos that are uploaded to to the internet um, yeah. 
uh, would be, you know, the obviously we're talking about some sort of utopia here in terms of anything rather than anything that would practically be achieved. But having control over what what is on there and being able to cook, because I, I, interestingly, I can see there's a massive amateur movement in porn where people are actually you know talking about different interests and different kinks they actually want to partake in this and that for them is like a big part of their um relationship but i could see how that could equally um potentially unlock like the dark side of that opportunity which is exactly that like uploading content without um prior approval from the person that took part in it yeah so for me like introducing clearer legislation and repercussions for something like revenge porn because it you know the stories i have read have sounded so incredibly traumatic yeah um would be an area i would love to look into a, a bit more yeah i think it's really interesting i think we're kind of getting into more of the weeds now in terms of like what would be the kind of like steps and stuff going forward because i think the legislation regulation thing i've read quite a lot of very conflicting kind of ideas of like what it is because i think like any policy there can often be really good, really good um, intentions behind trying to legislate and and uh, make regulations. And often there's a parallel with sex work made with the porn industry in terms of like how you do it. And a lot of people have said that the way that legislation is made at the moment actually impacts the creators, for example, like the women or the the actresses or artists more than it actually impacts the owners of 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 kind of like the the conglomerates oh wow so okay. just to give you some examples so for example like there's a, actually a really great um tortoise podcast on this called the hunt for the porn king um and it also features um some guy like being chased by security and some really you know that really bill- fancy billionaires road in london where like oh, and this yes, is the guy. Yes. so there's this like really crazy um i think he's from luxembourg he's a bill- millionaire businessman called bernard bergamar and he owns this company called MindGeek, who own pornhub alongside other kind of companies and stuff but he's like super off the web like it's really difficult to find anything about him he's very dodgy and there's been a couple of cases brought against pornhub and i guess against MindGeek around the sexual abuse and exploitation of children which is obviously a huge mm. huge issue on pornhub and these companies, just like they do with tax, are able to kind of like evade this and, and go around it. And for the people's lives, it's obviously a huge, a huge thing. But one of the things that was really interesting um, was that in in kind of like 2013, 2014, there was a couple of countries in Europe, someone, I think it was Iceland and Sweden and the UK who tried to pass legislation to sort of like stop some some of these things happening. And this really made me laugh just because also the UK is so incompetent about making laws. But in 2014, the British government passed a law effectively prohibiting the following sex acts from being featured in porn. So these following acts. So you had spanking, caning, aggressive whipping, female ejaculation, and face sitting. Now, female ejaculation is part of that list, which is crazy. Now, what was interesting is that female ejaculation, like that's crazy that you would have that in the list of things that you're prohibiting from having porn and made in the country. But the other thing that people pointed out is that all the other things that are in this, and there's a, a wider list as well, um, they are attributes of femdom porn. Yeah. And that is f- predominantly made by women and predominantly the most like money is made in that way by women. And really interestingly, people were saying that like, 
a lot of the problems with porn are not actually with the more kind of like marginalized fetish side of things because often they're actually the places where consent is given and consent is much more explicit not always obviously it does definitely tend to tend to change but in communities there they do have a bit better sense of consent i think because of the way that they approach it but the actually a lot of the problems that actually come with mainstream porn are the worst ones like the shitty povs the fact that like women's pleasure isn't there and i think what i wanted to kind of show is that there's you know regulation is important and legislation and policy but it needs to be made in a way that isn't going to like negatively affect like the people on the bottom which is often like what happens right you have unintended consequences and not for example affect the fact that you have you know these millionaire businessmen running Pornhub and they don't pay their taxes and they also don't you know respond to cases of sexual child abuse and that kind of thing so there's a balance there and I don't know how we would go about it but I think something does need to change and so is that legislation I assume it still exists which is I think so I hadn't I, I didn't read like an, an update of where it was but I wouldn't I mean Liz Truss is not gonna like evoke that like revoke this as well. maybe maybe not her priority right now but uh it should be let's 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 put that on her Liz, agenda it was really funny because the piece that I was reading which was the the, the right to sex with um the same art, um, article from before which I'll link and they said oh you know um really interestingly about the face sitting because we don't think any men have actually died from facing <laughs> because a lot of the things they said were like violent or could lead to death <laughs> and it's like oh my gosh the whole list is very funny I, I can include it somewhere as a as a bit of a funny since when has anybody died from female ejaculation can I please I want to I see think men stats. think we male die because that's why they don't want to make us come so <laughs> yeah. That explains it. You explains it. it out. It's there. They're like, we just don't want you to die. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, that's so kind of them. That's amazing. <laughs> no, that that sounds completely out of touch and makes it sound like a, a government that just wanted to do something. But yeah. exactly as oh. you said, the unintended consequences of making those changes are that it disproportionately affects the people that are actually trying to uh, create change in an industry that is very oppressive and and, a, and never going to change unless people fight the way that things have always been done exactly and i don't know if you remember that they also shut down only fans for a little while do you remember this that happened oh i in... do yes yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, wasn't that, that was a big thing. yeah it was during um, covid it was a big thing about you know the fact that only fans was being used duh for like porn or soft porn uses but um, the majority of new signups during covid were women and a lot of them were saying that they were making more money on only fans than they were working at mcdonald's for example or ah. you know somewhere like that or they were not obviously been able to work in the spaces so they were turning to, to only fans so that in itself there's a really interesting quote and I will find out who it's by but it was something discussing like the the only fans kind of world and someone was like only fans is just like selling your body to the military it's just you have more control over how you do it when you do only fans and that kind of blew my mind a little bit because I was like yeah in the military you are selling your body as well it's just like you're doing it in a way that's like deemed as respectable yeah. whereas on only fans you're deemed as not and in that way Oh my gosh. And yeah. was there kind of any any countries that were doing things well in this space when you looked at legislation or that had or was there was there nothing nothing visible on that? I mean, to be honest, I did look a lot at some of the bad stuff. So as mm. always, like I didn't look for some of the, the, the good things. But I think to kind of to come on to another point that I think we talked a little bit about earlier and something I think that could be implemented right away to like 
see this kind of future is this comprehensive sexual education um Definitely. aspect that we talked about and really interestingly I'm gonna blow the Netherlands trumpet a little bit on this because they from what I understand and from what I've read and from anecdotes with friends they have great comprehensive sexual education mm, and they actually okay. start really early they start at like six or seven Oh you're wow! About, okay. Yeah, you're taught about that, and you're also taught about um, compulsorily taught about sexual identity and orientation, so LGBT issues, and obviously like sexual pleasure, and also consent is a big thing too. Like you're definitely taught about that. So I don't know about what was your sexual education like? Like, did you have any of those things? Do you know what? I was just I was just thinking about it, and I was saying how that approach that you were just talking to sounds so much more proactive and much more natural in terms of talking about the evolution like not necessarily the evolution sorry but how like your bodies grow and things that happen to you at certain ages and I was just thinking I think my sexual education was you were split into boys and girls oh my god which is um in primary school and I just think that gave you absolutely no awareness of the opposite sex and the things that they were going through. Um, especially if they then went into an all-girls school and, and just joined into this big bubble and then, you know, boys yeah. became even more elusive aliens than they were previously. Um, and so much of the female uh, education centred around periods and yeah. not getting pregnant. And, you know, all of those messages that are, uh, again, build into that kind of shame and, you know, are quite scary for people who for when you're you know 10 11 years old and don't understand a lot of these things in the broader context and I actually think interestingly on the subject of timing you know I was getting this after I'd started my period so like so much of this just felt completely out of sync of actually when these things happen and made again something that should feel quite natural and quite expected feel so much more of something to hide and something to shy away or that you were abnormal in some way um so I think that's a but interestingly one of my friends is a is a primary school teacher in the UK and she teaches year six and has for the first time is having to teach uh sex education um yeah and I was kind of just quizzing her in terms of you know they they almost did like a Q and a that the kids had to like submit not so much questions but they could be like terms that they'd heard their parents use or their friends use and um you know she kind of could selectively pick out the ones that she wanted to respond to and um they were trying to really destigmatize certain language so the use of like penis and vagina and you also went to whisper when you said that there oh my god I know as you can see I literally have carried this with me for the last 20 21 years or however long it's been I do too as well don't worry yeah also all the terms that we use around our bodies like I I got I I called my what did I call my vagina for age like it wasn't called my vagina it was called I know I think the funniest one I heard was front bum (laughs) yeah front bum I've heard that before as well yeah Yeah, your foof no bits Oh, my mum called it something else. It'll come to me maybe. But like, I remember like- I love that it's going to come night. to you in the middle of the night, isn't it? Yeah, when I'll be like, like, oh my God. <laughs> you're... We can kick off next episode with it. Yeah, I'll be like, this is what it was. <laughs> but I think here in the Netherlands, for example, they just always use, that doesn't they, that doesn't surprise you, does it? They just always use the, the normal words for it. Yeah, that doesn't- that They're very pragmatic in terms yeah, of they, like, quite literal. this is your vagina, this is your penis. Like, Why would you call it your front bum? <laughs> I actually don't um, know the word for vagina in Dutch. Oh, something to <gasps> something to go and get used. Uh, I actually don't know if I know the word. For, I only know like the colloquial word for dick, which is lull for anyone who wants to lull. kind of do that lull. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that just sounds like me when I made a joke that's not really funny. And I'm yeah, like, lull. <laughs> <laughs> and most people probably... In your head, you can be like, oh, dick. 
opinion is and I'll find it even funnier than I did even though it wasn't funny to start with um but no I think um almost like summing up this episode and the topic is has arms and legs and it does you know it's so many it's tied into everything from like exactly that like female uh, educate like educating people about their bodies and sex and how exactly that like porn should be should feel feminist in the sense that we're like taking control of our own sexual pleasure and we're almost enacting it in whatever way that and form that takes but instead we've been taught to feel like we can't do that and we can't discuss it and it can't be a topic that I discuss as openly with my friends or something else I think there are some you know we, we obviously talked in a sort of utopian society of the things that we would love to tackle but you know you've touched upon a couple of the different areas in which we can very clearly change the regulation and I suppose turn the dial a little bit on the discussion around this or just discussing it full full stop uh, with people and I think it's things access to different forms giving people those choices learning more about the creating more legislation in the in the industry itself that then gives people the confidence that they can access it without you know breaking (laughs) breaking any sort of moral rules that they have for themselves which I think is what stops people from talking about it wanting to change it and tackling it as a as a subject yeah the other thing I would say is and I think we're all guilty of this but you know like we we have to look beyond the the main providers to find that ethical feminist porn I do have to say the word ethical in front of it doesn't make it feel quite sexy or is that just (laughs) me you know like it's 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 not you know it's not anything different you're still going to get some good shagging you're still going to get some good you know shebang in it but you're just going to know when you're watching it (laughs) with shebanging um shebanging um you're gonna you know you're gonna know that there's there was a safe environment hopefully that you will have women behind it and everyone knows that if you have a woman writing your characters for example or your sex scene that it's going to be a million times better than than having this kind of like or traditionally male pov and i would say like for anyone who is out there like try something else than pornhub like i know that you know it's like Literotica. Literotica. Uh, Big fan of Literotica. Haven't updated their website since the 90s, but it's bloody nope. great. <laughs> it's and very, very functional it's as a very website. functional. Oh, we've got another Literotica fan. I am um, I have to say I am a huge fan of it because it has good search functions too. So you can kind of like find whatever you're looking for. Um I would also say Belissa is also a really good uh, female made mm-hmm. uh, porn website. Deep Sea, as we said. Um there, I'm sure there's like a million others that we've kind of forgotten in there. We but should probably do some research and link them. We will link uh, some. We will do a little, yeah. when we do a little Instagram post or something, we'll find some in there. But uh, tied, tied to that though, I do think interesting in terms of the, you mentioned accessing different forms, but it may involve having to pay for it, which is so why true. Mm-hmm. I do think the, that is one of the barriers to making this a, you know, almost getting rid of that male category, female category, I completely appreciate that like the whole world should like sorry I'm not articulating myself as well as I would like to but it will be the reason that men are not accessing the same agree um pornography whilst free pornography exists nobody's going to want to pay and unfortunately it should be like in order to pay these people yep. sufficient money to continue to make this you do have to pay but it's almost like 
you either make all porn free or you make all per- all porn you have to pay for it and that's that's one of the all big porn is free that's your new platform for standing that's gonna be my new but yeah exactly like is there a way to subsidize yeah you know is there a way to make you know looking at it the same as we treat drugs for example like is you know mm. portugal has like effectively eradicated their drug problem by bringing it into the government and having like you know it regulated in a way is there a way that we could do that with porn Mm, yeah exactly yeah. um and i just think while you've got those two competing platforms you're the the smaller one is never going to win even if you get all 35 percent of uh you know yeah. the the viewers all those women moving to them it's it's not going to work so i think that's one of the barriers that we could yeah let's let's run on free free porn, free porn. as a yeah uh, can't wait to see pretty patel as our new uh secretary of state for free porn <laughs> You know what? Wilder things have happened in the last couple of years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wouldn't rule it out. Rule it out. Um, she would absolutely but, hate that, wouldn't she? She would. <laughs> she absolutely would. I think. Um, so what we'll do is we will definitely draft a bit of a list of those different platforms that we're aware of and have access. Obviously, feel free to you know send us your own as yeah. well if there's anything that you've accessed. Don't uh, send us know, any st- illegal porn that Lauren thinks she'll get arrested for it because. <laughs> please no I would, would, wouldn't appreciate that and uh, and it's definitely I think I'm going to take it upon myself to try and start more conversations on this topic in terms mm. of destigmatizing it as well because I think that will go a long way into helping people to feel less shame in accessing something that is an ed- educate- education tool and something exactly. to have fun with have fun you with know? it yeah that's also part of it that I think we haven't spoken about is that like sex is really fun it can be and it can you know it can be lots of things but one of the things is that it can be fun and porn can also be fun to do and mm. like I have to say one of the things that I find quite fun to do is if you've ever been in a hotel and you have like the free porn website is just to watch it because it's sometimes the funniest thing you've ever seen in your entire <laughs> life and I don't know if this made it ethically I don't know what it is but I and I do enjoy a little hotel watching it's part like other people order room service and you're there ordering porn yeah it's just like it's fun to it's watch and it's fun to experience and I think like that's also view kind of like delving into these different aspects as as something fun and if you don't like it that's also fine and you don't have to watch it and you don't have to be part of it like it's your choice and it's your choice exactly yeah we've just I feel like we're going to end every episode with it's your choice (laughs) that's it that every feminist topic comes back to that but sometimes I think if you have to simplify it to that we know that there is if you were going to go into every step and everything that needs yeah. to change, you've already talked about what a mammoth industry it is and, and you know how resistant it is to change. But I think by almost just bringing it back to like on a micro level, what you can actually control. Exactly. Um, ultimately, that is why we do end every episode with yeah. choice. <laughs> we should try and do that as like our last thing. Like we just bring it back to choice. We're like, what? To choice, choice in some way or another. Exactly. Uh, and then we can, when we do the episode on... Um, on the coil and oh your experience somehow we'll find a way to 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 do that i'm getting my new one in with anesthesia so it's gonna be it's gonna be hilarious oh so maybe i could i mean i could film that but it would just be me getting like knocked out and come back again so yeah hilarious for our listeners I'm yeah sure. exactly <laughs> <laughs> well yeah um, so go away choose your own porn tell us what kind of porn you've found good mediums ethically owned women owned marginalized community owned we love all of that we want to hear from you. We definitely do. We do. And it's been a pleasure chatting it through with it's you been today, a pleasure. Wallace. Yeah. We'll be back next month with our next topic. And uh we've kind of, 
we have a few in the in the pipeworks. We're going to figure out which one we want to do. Um, and come all back very to exciting it. though. All very exciting. This is the part where you do your ASMR. You know, do you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you definitely don't want that. <laughs> Common part. <laughs> the Victorian child in you well as always thank you for listening to our our rambles um I'm Wallace Grant I'm your co-host for today and I'm Lauren Williams and it's been a pleasure it's been our woman's pleasure I was gonna make a porn (laughs) and it didn't work love it (laughs)